Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They let this baby rot and die in its bed. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly, parents arrested for the death of their toddler. I had never seen the horror that we saw with this poor child at the hands of these two folks. But doctors say the child had been brain dead for years. Was this really manslaughter? When a patient suffers from brain death, there is no recovery. Or just a terrible tragedy. The mushrooms have completely rewired my thinking. And psychedelics are making a comeback. Just a wild trip? Or could they be the key to better mental health? It was just quite the awakening. All I am is a man with ambition to be the best. It's all love. Diddy is here telling us all about his new album. This album is the Super Bowl of R&B. Giving R&B a fresh new sound and officially ushering in the love era. You know, at the end of the day, I want when you think about me, I want you to smile. And let's go. She's got game. I've been a gamer from a very young age. How black women are changing the face of gaming and esports. All that and more as the Black News Revolution starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Mara Escampo. It's a crime so heinous that it brought police to tears. A three-year-old child in Florida died with such horrific injuries that the parents were arrested and charged with manslaughter. And what police say was one of the worst cases of neglect they had ever seen. But was it? The child in question had been legally brain dead for more than three years with no chance of ever recovering. So is this a case of brutal neglect or an inevitable death with a tragic ending? Developing in Polk County right now, two parents in Bartow are facing charges in connection to the death of their three-year-old son. The child smelled of decomposition. They let this baby rot and die in its bed. Hope County Sheriff Grady Judd describing in gruesome detail the scene where a severely ill toddler was found dead inside a Barstow, Florida home. The medical examiner at the autopsy said the child had sepsis, bilateral pneumonia, stage five ulcers. His parents, Ephraim Allen and Takesha Williams, were arrested after the child was pronounced dead at the hospital, facing multiple charges, including aggravated manslaughter. This child had an extremely extended stomach, and it was green. The affidavit lists other disturbing injuries, including large avulsions on the child's buttocks. Those skin injuries so advanced, the rectum was gone. This was so severe, the victim's colon was visible and several back abrasions consistent with bed sores. I talked to all the detectives in the room. Have you ever seen anything like this in your life? No one has. But what sounds like a cut-and-dried case of horrific child abuse is anything but why the child had been legally brain-dead for almost three years. The child had no brain activity, could not even blink his eyes, cannot move his extremities, and quite frankly, it was recommended to the parents that he be removed from any life-saving measures because the child would forever be in a coma with no brain activity. 
In July 2020, when he was just 10 months old, their now deceased son nearly drowned in this pool. According to the police, the medical team told the parents he would never regain consciousness. When a person is pronounced brain dead, there is severe and irreversible brain damage leading to blockage of oxygenated blood to the brain. Unlike a vegetative state, brain dead means there's zero brain activity and zero hope. When a patient suffers from brain death, there is no recovery. According to Yale University, there are between 15,000 to 20,000 deaths by brain death each year in the U.S. Well, breaking news this hour about the death of Whitney Houston's daughter. A medical examiner in Atlanta says Bobby Christina Brown's death was caused by drug intoxication and immersion in water. A devastating brain injury caused by drowning is a tragic scenario we've seen before. Whitney Houston's daughter, Bobby Christina Brown, was kept alive for six months with the help of a ventilator. She was cared for by a medical staff 24-7. They're having no cortical activity. There's nothing being transmitted. You need your brain to control other body functions and your skin, you know, it's the largest organ of the body. Brian Odom is an associate professor at the University of Central Arkansas in the physical therapy department and a pediatric wound specialist. These definitely uh, were some serious wounds. They can occur very quickly and without the proper knowledge or training. Before you know what's happening, now you have massive tissue loss, decomposition. Brian says even in a full-time medical facility, the bodies of patients with severe brain damage can easily deteriorate. Those facilities are doing the best they can and you still have a bad outcome. But the Florida parents, who also have two younger children, simply wouldn't give up on their baby providing round-the-clock care for their son with the help of state-paid home health care three times a week. But according to authorities, last October, the family surprisingly quit using a home health provider. And six months ago, Williams made a call for help. On Friday, May 12th, Takesha Williams called 911 and said a piece of equipment wasn't working properly. They said, well, they didn't want DCF to take their children, so they didn't call. But they had tried to get more home health care. And they said, uh-uh, we accepted them. And the next time they went, nobody answered the door. The person knocking on that door should have had questions and or calling their supervisor, checking their files to see when this child was last seen and the severity of those medical conditions. Nicole Stolar-Peterson has worked for almost 12 years in child welfare as a child abuse investigator and forensic interviewer. The questions that I have, what were some of the circumstances around the initial drowning of the child and then the decisions that were made by the parents to continue keeping that child essentially alive. I can see why the prosecutor made the choice of going with abrogated manslaughter. Defense attorney Bernarda Villalona says even though the boy was declared brain dead and on a ventilator, he was considered a live human being and their negligence contributed to his final days. We're talking about a child that really 24 hours a day relied on the care and custody and the constant control of that child because the child was pretty much lifeless since that child was on a ventilator. But the parents may have had other reasons for not seeking help. Many poor parents fear that because they're poor, they'll be criminalized by child welfare and lose their children. The Annie E. Casey Foundation shows that in 2018, black children represented 23% of youth in foster care, but only 14% of the nation's child population. This family has been 
been without their babies for 30 days. This Georgia family made national news when they temporarily lost custody of their five children after a misdemeanor marijuana violation. And earlier this year, DeSoto police helped CPS take the baby from them at their home on March 28th. Unlawfully enter my home and come and take my baby from me. CPS took this Texas couple's newborn after they allowed their midwife to treat the infant daughter's jaundice. The baby was returned home after a month-long fight. Well, I believe there is absolutely a, a fear that exists with families, and, and I don't think it's an unreal fear. You've had CPS knocking your door and our family or neighbors didn't have a good experience. I think that actually is a very real fear and, and should be taken into consideration. While the parents in this case await their trial, it may all come down to what the home health aid teams witnessed in their final visits to the home and whether calls were made back in October to check on the status of the severely ill young patient. Um, we're talking about Florida, where essentially everybody is a mandated reporter of suspected child abuse. In addition to that, we're talking about somebody who works in home health care, who understands the risks to children and adults receiving this care when they don't receive it properly or on schedule. My prayer would be that the child was in a deep enough state that he wasn't aware of what was happening to him. But Villalona says the amount of startling physical evidence makes this case a slam dunk. Let's stick to the visuals. You're talking about a three-year-old child that had to rely on those services and rely on the parents or an individual to feed them, to bathe them, to take care of them, to turn them because they could not move on their own. And in this case, the mother was being paid to stay home and receiving money as well as services to take care of this child that needed 24-hour care. In October, where she was like, wait, hold up. No, I don't need your services. I have this under control. And that, according to Villalona, may be what makes all the difference to a jury. Aside from that, let's deal with the injuries. Can you just imagine the photographs that are gonna be put before this jury? Any person, would have seen that it was necessary to get emergency care for this child. And this mother and this father failed the basic necessities for this child. We'll be sure to keep you updated on this case. Coming up, the shrooms are staging a comeback. Psychedelics aren't just for hippies anymore. Find out who's taking them and why when we come back. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back. It's a new trip that a lot of people are taking these days. We're talking about psychedelics. The use of drugs like mushrooms and ketamine is booming, including among many black celebrities. They're turning to these drugs for mental health treatment, seeking an alternative to traditional therapy and pharmaceutical drugs. And proponents say the results are dramatic, helping people overcome things like crippling depression and long-held trauma. Molly, it's a psychedelic drug you've probably heard name-checked in a song. Well, these days, drugs like this are moving from the club to the couch for a completely different kind of party. 
I am going to connect the syringe to the pump to start the infusion. At Complete Ketamine Solutions, the first ketamine clinic in the country founded by a black woman, owner and clinical director Tanya Miller administers ketamine as a mental health treatment. So I'm going to get a mask for Antonio. Patient Antonio Brownlee suffers from depression, anxiety, and PTSD, as the drug, which has been used in anesthesia since the 1950s, works its way into Antonio's system, he will drift into a temporary state of semi-consciousness and disassociation, feeling like he's outside of his body. And he is now going to go to a new land. Just a few years ago, this would have been considered unthinkable. But these days, treatments like this are happening every day. I think that it's very important for the black community to seek treatment because we have been disenfranchised for so many years. And when we suffer from mental illness, I think we're stigmatized and we are stagnant and unable to grow to our full potential. Tanya's clinic is part of an explosion in therapeutic use of psychedelics to treat everything from depression to anxiety and heal long-held trauma. The most commonly used are LSD or acid, MDMA, known on the streets as ecstasy or molly, mushrooms, and ketamine, often called Special K. The most potent psychedelics include iboga, a root from Africa, said to be the purple herb in Black Panther, and ayahuasca, a tea brewed from two plants found in the South American rainforest. Both have been used for thousands of years by indigenous tribes. How have we seen indigenous cultures use psychedelics? Sacred plants have been with us since the beginning of time. Um, and we just forgot about them or, or you know, they're pushed away, but it's coming back and it's just being a re resurgence of people understanding uh, what's going on. The mushrooms are now speaking out. They're speaking out to, for people to be reawakened to themselves. Nothing was more important than treating my depression. And with once daily Wellbutrin XL, I feel like me again. Mental health treatments haven't developed much since medicines like Wellbutrin, Prozac, and Zoloft were introduced in the 80s and 90s. These antidepressants are known to have certain limitations. From large studies like the STARDI trial, we know that the medications work. Do they cure depression? No. Are some people non-responders? Yes. But our mental health has been spiraling. Suicide rates increasing 30% between 1999 and 2016. So we were seeing a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, poor sleep, irritability, and a rise in people self-medicating. And this is really to ease that angst and that uncertainty and that stress related to the pandemic. Enter psychedelics. Voters in Oregon and Colorado passed ballot measures decriminalizing psilocybin, while Texas and Connecticut have approved measures allowing for the study of psychedelics for mental health treatment. MDMA could be important for the future of psychiatry as the discovery of antibiotics was for general medicine 100 years ago. What kind of transformations and healing have you seen um, with people who have been using psychedelics and plant medicine for mental health and spiritual treatment? 
what it does, it gives you a mirror of yourself. And I've taken over uh, as a shaman, over a hundred people through this process individually and collectively. The number one thing they say is, wow, I now see myself. The number two thing they say is thank you. An estimated 1.4 million Americans tried hallucinogens for the first time in 2020, while venture capitalists are pumping hundreds of millions into startups like Mindstate Design Labs. Black celebs like Will Smith and Howard Stern sidekick Robin Quivers even speaking openly about their own use. Am I talking to a new Robin? <laughs> I am I am very, very pleasantly surprised that I came home feeling great. Fans of psychedelics say they're becoming more popular because they work. One study finding that 88% of participants with PTSD experienced a significant reduction of symptoms two months after their third session of MDMA-assisted therapy. It really just kind of turned the light on on life for me. It literally, everything was brighter. Everything was more detailed. It was just quite the awakening. We're going to start with the breaking news. Emmy Award-winning journalist Kendace Gibson turned to psychedelics after traditional methods, therapy and prescription drugs, provided little relief for his lifelong depression. We have a busy, busy day. And it came to the point where I was at ABC, anchoring the overnight news for several years, not dealing with sleep very, very well, and became suicidal. And it was at that point that I realized that I needed to get some help. Kendis grew up poor in Belize and moved to the U.S. at 11. What were the messages that you got from your family growing up about mental health? The messages that I got from my family, if you were depressed, you were crazy. You don't want crazy men, they will say. And that's why I feel it's so important to speak out about it, because so many of us, especially from Caribbean roots, but also largely from the black community, um, don't talk about it, and we just suffer in silence. Candace's suffering slowly started to ease when he began experimenting with MDMA and mushrooms with friends, eventually taking a trip deep into the jungles of Peru for an ayahuasca ritual. And then when did you start using psychedelics in a more targeted way as a treatment for depression? I went back to New York. I was working at MSNBC at the time, and it was during pandemic. People were dying all around us, but I was insanely happy. And I had to do a come to Jesus to figure out, wait, what has changed in my life? And then I started doing research into mushrooms and realized that might have been it. I feel as if I am, I have rewired my brain. The mushrooms have completely rewired my thinking. Ketamine, which is FDA-approved to treat depression, helped Tanya's son when she sought help beyond traditional therapies. When I saw it with my son, I was like, this is amazing. But I never, ever imagined that I would be sitting here today on in my own clinics. How can that be effective? Yeah, so if we think about uh, what these drugs do, a drug like ketamine, for example, uh, it can do something like resetting uh, the way a, a person is experiencing or seeing a certain event. And so if you have this sort of resetting uh, in combination uh, with a skilled therapist, that could ultimately help people to uh, change their behavior in the future uh, and help them to change their outlook. 
But there are downsides. For one thing, it can be expensive. Ketamine treatments costing as much as $4,000 for the recommended six sessions. And while most psychedelics have an extremely low chance of lethal overdose and likelihood of addiction, they are not without risk. They can be abused in social settings, while those with a family history of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder may be vulnerable to psychotic or manic episodes and are therefore excluded from clinical trials. We don't want people going out and, you know, self-medicate themselves in uncontrolled settings because then you get these scary anecdotal cases where bad things happen and it ruins it for the rest of the people who could potentially have access. So I think that as populations of color, we need to read for ourselves, we need to educate ourselves so that we can take it to our providers because a lot of our providers don't look like us. Experts say the safest setting is clinical, like Complete Ketamine Solutions, where Antonio has just come back down to earth. After each treatment, I've gotten better. Just helped me focus, uh, just helped me be at ease with a lot of things, and just lets me know everything gonna be okay. Coming up, it's all love. I sat down with Revolt's chairman, the one and only Diddy. He's on a mission to elevate R&B with his new album, and he also opens up about success, heartache, and his legacy. You don't want to miss it. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Diddy finally has the key to the city! That's Diddy getting the key to the city. Last week, Revolt's chairman was presented with the key to New York City. It was a big week for Diddy. He was also honored with the Global Icon Award at the MTV Video Music Awards. And as if that weren't enough, he dropped his first new album in 13 years, the love album, Off the Grid, which critics are calling an R&B masterpiece. I sat down with the man himself, where he opened up about love, loss, and legacy. Listen, it's a little intimidating because I'm interviewing my boss, and that's never happened before. Congratulations on the album. Thank you very much. Can we make in time that I don't have? On the surface, the album is quintessential ditty, full of star-studded collabs from Blige to Bieber na, 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 na. to Babyface. This album is the Super Bowl of R&B. The purpose of this album is to unify the R&B community together. I just think unifying everybody together to put a spotlight on, number one, R&B and hip-hop are two different things. Yes, we do all look alike, but R&B is different than hip-hop. Well, a single that really exemplifies all of that is Another One of Me, your lead single, which is featuring The Weeknd, 21 Savage, and French Montana. What was it like having all that talent on one single, and especially knowing that this could be the last yeah. collab we see from the weekend, especially for a while? I mean, this record has been eight years in the making. French Montana, who's like somebody that's that that I really trust his ear. He was like, yo, I'm gonna get in with 21 Savage and do this record and let you hear. And he really kind of put the record together 
off of something that me and Abel started. And we were like, that'd be dope if we all come together. All I am is a man with ambition to be the best. When I failed, it just gave me the vision to see the rest. But it was a chance to work together as, as a whole unit. Like, we all hang out together. We all part of the same crew. But to be on one record together, especially for something as historical as, you know, me returning back to R&B, you know? But love off the grid hits different, representing a new milepost in Diddy's life. So this is the love album. Mm -hmm. We are clearly in the love era. Yes. Describe the love era. We have to make that choice of choosing love or choosing happiness or, you know, choosing a higher way to, to go. And so um, that's what the love era is about. It's something that, you know, um, I think we all strive to be. But for me, I kind of taking it way more literal officially changed my name, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like, on my life, on my driver's license, it says Sean Love Combs. Another day, another dog. Another Keisha, nice to meet you, get the math, I'm gone. In the 13 years since his last album, Diddy has done a lot of living, expanding his business empire, raising seven kids, and experiencing tremendous loss with the deaths of friend and mentor Andre Harrell and longtime love Kim Porter, the mother of his lookalike son Christian and twin daughters Delilah and Jesse. How has that loss changed you and how is working on this album healing for you? I guess it, it, it pushed me into this era, you know, pushed me full-fledged into this era, like just all the loss that I was feeling. It's kind of hard with you not around. Know you in heaven smiling down, watching us while we pray for you. Every day we pray for you. Reminiscent of him recording I'll Be Missing You after Biggie's death in 1997, Diddy poured his grief into a track called Kim Porter, featuring John Legend and Babyface. Seven days and six nights Waiting on your sound But I can't quite live without I would always say like I would I can't make a, a hit record unless my heart is broken. And so that's kind of like how this record came about, just calling Babyface and like, yo, Babyface, I got this idea. See, music is magical, Babyface. I'm like, your voice is magical. I need to pierce the heavens above to get this message to Kim so she could come and visit me in my dreams. And so he's singing that. The, the song, I have the picture of me and her, and I'm like, really, I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm like, I'm making this record for her. I'm not making it for no streaming. I just want her to hear this record, come visit me in my dreams. Did it work? Has she been visiting you? Yeah, yeah, she, it definitely worked. Um, she has come and visited me. After all, family is everything to Diddy, who brought four of his kids to the MTV Video Music Awards and brought the house down, performing a medley of his biggest bangers. Among his backup dancers, identical twins, Delilah and Jesse. They, along with Sister Chance and brother King Combs, surrounded Diddy as he accepted the Global Icon Award. This is a, a, a dream come true for me. 26 years after winning his first Moon Man. I grew up watching MTV like, man, I wish one day I could be up there. So what advice would Global Icon Diddy mm -hmm. give to 1997 Diddy? Wow. About this journey that he's about to go on. I would tell 
the 1990s Diddy to buckle the f up <laughs> and enjoy the ride because it, it, it's going to be crazy and just like, just keep on keeping on, brother. You're doing a great job. Be gentle with yourself. Does that apply to you now? Do you, are you gentle with yourself now? Yes. This, these are conversations I have with myself and I think that comes from, you know, just the, the showing in me. As you reflect on what you've done, and certainly you know there's a lot more coming because yeah. you're like Mr. Can't Stop, yeah. Won't Stop. But as you're getting this Global Icon Award and you reflect on that, what do you want your legacy to be? I'm living the legacy, and that's through my children, um, through me evolving as a person, as a businessman, being a leader, breaking down barriers um, for my people, and um, making that music that you could dance to, make a baby to, get fly to. You know, at the end of the day, I want when you think about me, I want you to smile. So I told you that we won't stop. The Love Album Off the Grid is available now, and the collabs are bananas. You definitely want to check that out. Well, coming up. Girls Got Game, the inside story of the ladies taking over gaming and esports. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Kennedy Rue is here. Hey, Kennedy. And you've got a spotlight on a new place where black women and girls are making some big moves. That's right, Mara. A lack of black representation, both on and off screen, has plagued the gaming industry since the 90s. But a wave of black characters and designers are leading gaming into a new era. Much of it thanks to one woman's crusade. This is Stand Up For, presented by State Farm. My name is Jayan Lopez. I'm the CEO and founder of Black Girl Gamers, which is a community-powered organization heightening black women's voices and visibility and equity in gaming. Oh! I've been a gamer from a very young age, from around the age of six to seven. Passion doesn't begin to explain how I feel about gaming. This is Black Girl Gamers, how are you? I'm really good, how are you? I'm great, and it's good to see you in the movie playing Egg in the Bard. I'm a BAFTA judge and member of BAFTA for Games. I'm an honorary professor at Norwich University of Arts for my work in gaming. I've been a judge for Forbes 30 Under 30 for the gaming category. My uncle's bought me my first Nintendo console and playing Super Mario and Mario Kart on that just started to ignite my love for all things gaming and all different genres. In my youth, playing games that didn't include characters or misrepresented characters that were supposed to be black women were quite discouraging because they didn't seem authentically created. If that, if they were even in the game in the first place, it made you feel like you weren't meant to be included. It made you feel excluded. It made you feel invisible in this world of games where the imagination is supposed to roam free. Welcome back to the YouTube channel of Black Girl Gamers. So I created my own platform, started connecting with black women online, and they were some of the first community moderators within the Facebook group, which has now grown to over 9,000 women and is not solely a community, but now we are actually a community-powered organization. Initially, when Black Girl Gamers started in 2015, the reaction was quite 
silence. We were ignored a lot. But now the topic and the narrative has changed uh, where diversity, inclusion, representation, equity is more seriously thought about and acted upon. We had a fantastic panel before us of women, black women in the industry. So the people who matter don't gatekeep. And so those kind of small little bricks, building bricks, contributed towards how we scaled today to do things like Gamer Girls Night In. So Gamer Girls Night In is the event that for women and non-binary people in gaming. And it's specifically to carve an event that is not created from a male lens. And it combines gaming, beauty and fashion, because those are some of the areas in which I love. And it's just great. It's just beautiful to see people enjoy themselves freely and wholly and feel represented and feel thought about in the inception of an event as opposed to feeling like an afterthought. But thank you again for so much for coming. We have been your hosts for tonight, Black Girl Gamers and Naysaga. Please follow us. Thank you so much. We love you. I'm 100% positive about the changes in the organization's trajectory because you've seen an increase in black female character representation and playable black characters. Let's go. The very first black female character that I resonated with was Niobe from Enter the Matrix, which is based on Jada Pinkett Smith. Sergeant First Class Anita Williams. Currently, other characters that I like to play in games. I love playing Bangalore. Get ready for a world of hurt. I love playing Forspoken as well. That was such a fun game to play. Frey arrives with a magical, sentient bracelet. There was Nilin from Remember Me, who was a biracial black female character. What kind of memory am I looking for exactly? We've seen more characters come out in games like Paladin. Long live the queen. Um, even Overwatch 2 now has a black female character. Sojourn here. There's a game coming out south of Midnight that we're really passionate about because it seems to hone in on not a generic black woman character, but a black woman character where the culture is also explored. A black woman character from Louisiana. I'm looking for a creature. Huge, sneaky. And so we've seen changes in terms of consultation, character representation. I think the area that remains to change is hiring black people and black women. The numbers are still super low, 2% to maybe 5% out of the whole entire industry. Find anything good? Rex, you're not gonna believe this. Do you remember the first game you played on an Xbox? Oh, uh, yes. So we have our workshops and our mentorship programs, which offer a taster in different areas for our members. So they can then take that taster and decide, do I want to work in this area? You can be an artist, a voice actor, a game developer, a coder programmer, a level designer. You can be project manager. There's so much for black women to be able to enter. This time... You'll remember me. So if you'd like to join Black Girl Gamers, you can join via our website. We have a verification process. Or you can join via a Facebook group. It's The Black Girl Gamers on Instagram, Black Girl Gamers on Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. Um, you can find me personally at Lopez underscore on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. And that's how you find us. Jayanne is proof that one person can take on a huge multi-billion dollar business and make a big difference. It is so exciting to see young black women doing their thing, in gaming especially. Thank you, Kennedy. We'll be right back.
If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Before we go, there's one more story we want you to see. First place winner, $20,000 scholarship each. The Thurgood Marshall College Fund, in conjunction with Ally, recently partnered together once again to celebrate the five-year anniversary of the Moguls in the Making competition. I was very excited to be selected for the fifth anniversary of Moguls in the Making, sponsored by Ally and TMCF. I was able to experience it a little bit last year from the media side, and now this year I'm experiencing it as a student. We were a little scared at first, but now we're feeling more confident because we were able to actually um, come in with a new innovative um, mind and a clear base. So we're very excited to find out what ways we can take it and how we can grow from here. I was so ecstatic about hearing that I would be granted the opportunity to be at Moguls. I've already heard so much about it. And just being able to be here with my team and other Spartans uh, really brings me a lot of pride, especially being able to represent my school here at this magnitude. When I heard that I was going to be selected to be a part of Moguls this year, y'all, I hit the ceiling. I called my daddy. I called my grandma. I called my mama, my aunties, my uncles. Because y'all, $20,000? It being the fifth anniversary of Moguls also presented a chance for everyone to stop and reflect on how much the competition had grown since it started in 2019. As a judge for the last four years, I've had the opportunity to see a lot of creativity and to witness a lot of change in terms of the skill level of the presentations of many of the students. It also brought out a few familiar faces to drop jewels of wisdom and hype the students up about life post-moguls. One familiar face, Big Sean. The lack of communication I had growing up in Detroit is just kind of like I had to figure a lot of things out on my own. And opportunities really that, you know, are just becoming more and more present because we're coming together and offering opportunities. The rapper and philanthropist has been partnering with Ally and TMCF since the inception of Moguls through his nonprofit, the Sean Anderson Foundation. First of all, give people money, you know, first and foremost. Give people experiences and create opportunities in the Ally ecosystem from internships to future positions and just all over the the business world. Also in attendance, entertainer and philanthropist Terrence J. We're back for Moguls in the Making Year 5! A graduate of North Carolina A&T, Terrence was excited to come back and further add to the students' already rewarding experience of attending an HBCU. I think some of the traits of successful teams really boils down to, you know, their synergy at the very end. 
being together in the beginning, ideating really well, and then it's gonna get the heat's gonna hit. As long as they are staying together, staying poised, gelled, and really know their product, I think the judges can see that, and that's what takes them over the top. After the students heard from Sean, Terrence, and other invaluable speakers, it was time to pitch their ideas. Each team had five minutes to pitch their ideas, followed by a quick Q&A session with the judges. Once they heard all of the pitches, the judges went into deliberation. After some time, they came back with a winner. First place winner, $20,000 scholarship each. North Carolina A&T State Champions. North Carolina A&T took home this year's grand prize. Their winning concept, Capital and Color Lending, utilizes AI-driven products tailored for communities of color to empower ambitions through innovative, fair approaches for accessing capital in ways that go beyond that of a traditional financial institution. Aggie pride. Aggie pride. Uh, the most difficult part was really learning to lighten up. Uh, our demos were extremely stiff, and uh, we got some pretty harsh feedback for that. <laughs> but we just went back to the whiteboard and came back strong. But regardless of if their team placed or not, each student left the week a big winner. And each of them can definitely say they are true moguls in the making. A big shout out to TMCF and Ally for making such an amazing event possible. If you're interested in learning more about becoming a mogul in the making, visit ally.com slash moguls for more info. Well, that wraps it up for us. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, X, Revolt on YouTube, our Revolt Black News podcast, and download the Revolt app. Until next time, good night, everyone. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.